yesterday was a surreal moment for me because, uh, well, first off, it was wonderful because this weather is incredible. So what I've been dreaming about all year, which is sitting on the balcony sermon prepping, I had an opportunity to do. So it was just like I could be out here all day, just, you know, enjoying the weather. But then we went to this party that was in our building for families. There's this Brickle group on Facebook, and they hosted this party in our building, invited all these families from Brickle. So we're like, hey, we should go. So we walk in, and I'm telling you, Jessica and I said this, if we didn't have a baby already, we would have been like, man, we're adding five years, easy. Because we walked into this, and it was like total overwhelming overload family to the max. I mean, I've never been to a party like this in my life. We walk in, there's strollers everywhere. It's like parking spaces for strollers all over the place. There's kids in costumes that are going all over the place. You're talking to a parent. You're like, oh, hey, you know, where are you from? Hold on, I don't know where my child is. And then they leave, you know, they're running off. I mean, it's surreal. I mean, you go over to the bar, you know, you normally go to the party, there's wine, there's drinks, there's food. No, 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 not here. There's wine and there's beer, but it's kind of hidden in the back and you got to try to figure out where to get it. On the bar is cookies and little cut up carrots and juice boxes and like squeezable baby food. You know, there's balloons, there's like plate, there's toy. I mean, I'm just like, this is insane. So we walk in and it really was done well. I mean, it was surreal and kind of overwhelming because, you know, new dad, that was the first time I really felt like hashtag dad life has become a reality for me. And I'm looking around talking to people and I, I thought to myself, man, the woman that put this on, she went all out. I mean, she thought of everything. She thought of the perfect time for families from three to seven. She had all the stuff for the kids on the juice box and the carrots and the whole thing. She had toys all over the room, balloons, arts and crafts. You could make a little Halloween mask. She had a place to take a picture with pumpkins. And I'm like, she really went for it. And it made me think, this is like a great example of our understanding of hospitality. We think hospitality is simply and only that. It's somebody that loves party planning it's somebody that's really good at hosting and creating a very warm and welcoming, welcoming environment, which she did. It was ter- kind of terrifying for me, but it was awesome, and it, you know, it, all the stuff that the kids needed were there. But one of the things that we're going to see tonight, and maybe you were thinking about this, I, I'm glad that you came. Maybe some people left because they're like, oh my gosh, hospitality, I don't want to hear a sermon on that. That is not my thing. Or maybe you're here because you're like, I'm really hospitable, so I can't wait to get a pat on the back. You know, I'm doing a great job. Because we think hospitality, and we associate it with the gift of hospitality. And what we see here in this passage tonight, through the story of Rahab, and the prostitute who takes in these spies, enemies, to her people, and shows them hospitality, she welcomes in the stranger and cares for them and, and provides safety for them, is that there's a difference between the gift of hospitality and being hospitable. One, some of us have. The other, we're all called to be. And that's one of the things that's going to come out and challenge us. I know it challenged me as we're working through this passage tonight. So look at what it says in the very beginning here. And Joshua, the very first verse, the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. A little context here. Here's what's going on. So right before this, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. The mighty Egyptians have enslaved the people of God, and God sends the plagues, and eventually they leave by Moses as he leads them out, and they come to the Red Sea. God miraculously parts the Red Sea. They go through it. It closes so the Egyptians cannot go after them, and now they're in the wilderness. They're assuming they're going to go straight to the promised land, the land that God has told them is theirs for the people of God. And yet, 
they stay in the wilderness for 40 years because they're consistently and continually complaining about everything. And so they stay there until Moses passes away and they raise up a new leader, a new guide. And his name is Joshua. And so Joshua is given the honor of leading the people from the wilderness into the promised land, Israel, Palestine, that region. So they're on the other side of the Jordan River and they're about to go in. They've conquered some people on the other side, but they're about to go into the the promised land. And the first city to take over is Jericho. It's the one in their way. And Jericho is a great city. It's a mighty city. It's a big city. It's known as the city of palm trees. So there's palm trees everywhere. It's known for delicious fruit and extraordinary spices. And it was surrounded during this time with great walls. Jericho is actually one of the oldest cities in the world. Dates back to 10,000 AD, or BC, sorry. 10,000 BC. We're not at 10,000 AD yet, if you were wondering. Maybe it'll still be there. So it's this incredible city. And one of the other things about Jericho is that it was defended by people that were known to be vicious. And so Joshua sees Jericho. He knows that's the first stop. And he takes two men he trusts. And he says, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go do a reconnaissance mission. You're going to go in. You're going to sneak across the Jordan. You're going to sneak over to the city. You're going to get in the city. I want you to gather some intel on how in the world are we going to conquer Jericho, this walled up city full of vicious people that are our enemies. So they go, they sneak over, they get into the city somehow, and when they get into the city, their thought is, where are we going to go? Okay, what's the best place to go to gather information on the city? They decide to go to a a brothel. They go to Rahab's house. Rahab is uh, the owner and operator of this brothel, and so they go there figuring, one, okay, if we go here, most likely we're not going to be seen because there's people coming in and out all the time. It's, it's a place where people, travelers and others can move through, and it's probably a place that's turning over a lot where we can kind of hide out in the shadows a bit. But also, it's a place where we can gather good information because where are all the men and the leaders of the city going? They're going through the brothel, hearing conversations, listening, trying to figure out what's going on. And so Rahab is the owner and operator of this brothel. And what's interesting about Rahab is most likely, we don't know for sure, but most likely she's not, uh, she is also a temple prostitute. So she's kind of uh, raised on another level because she gives her body over uh, to the worship of the fertility gods of the Canaanites. So she is esteemed in this status and she is the owner of this brothel with most likely many women that were coming through and they would come and it would be this act of worship on some level at the temple in order to engage with them. And so she's there. They go th- to this brothel and they're hiding out, but the unfortunate thing is they're seen. As you know in the story, it says in verse 2, and it was told to the king of Jericho, so someone ratted them out, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king sent uh, to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you and who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. See, here's the problem. Rahab's in her house. The men have come in. Someone has probably most likely many people saw these men enter, and they realize these are foreigners, and they realize that these are not just foreigners. These are Israelites, and they know the Israelites are on the other side of the river. They've heard the story, as we'll see later, of what God has been doing throughout the years, And so they're full of fear. And so they go to the king and they say, listen, there's two spies in Rahab's house. You need to send the guards. You need to send the king's men. And we've got to handle this because they're here to gather information. So they get there, knock on the door. Rahab comes out. They say, 
Bring the men out. We know they're in there. Rahab's in kind of a bind here. She really thinks on her feet. And here's what she says. She says, true, the men came to me. Imagine the fear of Rahab right at that moment, right? She's staying there before the king's men. Most likely, she, if she's found out, she's going to be jailed, probably killed for housing these men. And she says, true, they came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And, there, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. They snuck out. I don't know where they went, but pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So the king's men get there. They're standing before Rahab, and she says, yes, I, I know who you're talking about. They came through here, but I don't know who they are, where they're from. And they left, and actually, I saw them. They snuck out the gate right as the door was closing, and they went out there. So listen, I'm on your side. I'm really concerned about this, so you need to go after them. You're, you're surely going to overtake them and catch them. And so what do the pursuers do? They believe her, surprisingly, and follow out, and they go towards the Jordan. At least five, six miles, they trek out in the middle of the night, and they're going to be out there for a while. They're going to camp. They're going to look around. So they're gone. Gives Rahab time to help the spies escape. And we know later in the story that she goes and she talks with them, as we're going to see, and then she helps them out of her house, which is in the city wall through a window, to escape and get into the forest and be able to get back to Joshua and bring the intel and then we know the story later when they come and they march around the city of Jericho and blow the trumpets and the walls come tumbling down. See, the question that arises when you read this story is, why would Rahab show this hot type of hospitality to these men? She's not a Jew. She has no previous allegiance in any way, shape, or form. She's never encountered the Jewish people before. Actually, the entire city is fearful because they've heard the stories, as we're going to read in a second. She's a polytheist her entire life, and actually her job is to use her body to worship all of these Canaanite gods. And yet she risks her life for these two Israelite spies that come into her house. See, one of the things that we see very clearly in the story is that the hospitality that she shows is not the I really liked party plan type of hospitality. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not the, you know, I know I'm supposed to be kind to people, so there's these spies here, so I'm just going to be nice to them. I'm going to hide them on the roof under this itchy flax and then, you know, help them out the window because I'm supposed to be a good person, right? It's not that. This is really uncomfortable, risky hospitality. It is not your average hospitality. See, I think oftentimes when we think of hospitality, we think of someone that likes to have people over for dinner, right? Jessica, Roman, and myself have been over to a few of your guys' places before, and many of you are very hospitable. The food, the wine, the environment, the conversation, even the music was like right on. You know, you, you had it all going on. It was great. It was really hospitable. We felt very warm and welcomed. And then some of you are like, oh my gosh, you saw the sermon title. Maybe you saw the snappy little video that we put out on Instagram and you're like, oh gosh, 
I, I, I'm not a hospitable person. I don't really like having people over. It's not that easy for me. I'm not a party planner. I, I like my space, private. I'm more reserved, whatever the case may be. See, the reality is many of us and many of you I know have the gift of hospitality, and that's a great gift. You love to gather people together. You're very warm and welcoming. You love to have people over for dinner. You love to have new couples that you meet spend time together and go out. You love to party plan. You can't wait to host the overwhelming stroller parking banana cut carrots party in a building in Brickell one day. You love that. And that's great. And then some of you have the gift of hospitality you feel like is one of the last gifts that you would ever receive and you don't have it. And that's totally okay too. Because what is being discussed here is not the gift of hospitality. It is the act of being hospitable. And that is something that every one of us is called to. And there's a difference between the two. I want to read you a few verses in the New Testament that talks about this. First Peter 4 says, practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. This is common given to all of us. Romans 12, 13 says, practice hospitality. Hebrews 13 says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. You see, hospitality is commanded to all of us, and it's not some legalistic quota of the amount of people you're supposed to have over to dinner once a month, or you have to plan one party a month, or else you're failing. It's not that. Hospitality is aware and it's willing. I'll flesh that out. Here's what it means. Hospitality means that you are aware of other people. You are aware of those around you. I want to ask you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever wanted to go to space. If, you don't, if you're not raising your hand, then that's just weird to me. Because my whole life, I've wanted to go to space. I mean, how awesome would space be? We are all bound by gravity and you go to space, and you're not bound by it anymore. You get to float around. I've always imagined what it'd be like to be on the moon and just kind of like bounce, you know. I don't Have you noticed moon boots? Those, that's what I call them. I don't know. Really, they're making a comeback. If you go to Brickle Key, there are some people that run around Brickle Key on their little moon boots, and it's like hilarious, but they're really into it. They love space just like me. But see, the reason that I want to go to space is because I want to see what it's like to not be bound by gravity anymore. If I jump, I fall. See, I have a real big problem with Mary Poppins because when I watched Mary Poppins growing up, I was like, this is awesome. I did not know that if you get an umbrella when it's windy and jump, you will fly. And so it was windy. I took my mom's umbrella. I went on the roof and I jumped. And I knew Mary Poppins was a fraud. And I never watched Mary Poppins again in my life because I don't watch things that aren't true. That's just the reality. But see, the reason that I want to fly, and I want a Mary Poppins umbrella, and I want to go to the moon, is because I want to know what it's like to feel something different than what I normally feel. I normally and always have felt gravity, and it would be so cool to see what it feels like to not experience that. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I think if we're all honest, the reason hospitality is difficult, just being hospitable, is because it's not the natural inclination of our heart. It's not what we're bound by, really inside, because what we're bound by is caring about me, concern for me, being aware of myself and my needs, and being willing to care for myself. I'll give you a little test, and you don't have to raise your hand on this one. When you come here on Sunday nights, 
or when you go to another church, what is your first thought? Do you think to yourself, I cannot wait to look to see if there is someone new that I can introduce myself to, and I can get to know their story, and I I can learn where they're from, because, you know, coming together in the church, one of the most beautiful things is that God has welcomed all people together to come together and to join together on his mission, or is your first thought, are my friends here tonight? And who am I going to sit with that I know? And during the passing of the peace that I always feel a little awkward with, who am I going to talk to? Are there people behind me that I don't know? Because that, be, that could be weird, <laughs> right? What's your natural inclination? Because I think our natural inclination is to be aware of ourselves. And hospitality calls us to be aware of others. See, this is actually why we do passing of the peace. Someone came up to me uh, a few months ago and said, why do we do passing of the peace? It's like so awkward. Because this is to be a place of hospitality. This is a place, the church, where all people from all places are called to come together and it should be the most warm and welcoming place that you've ever been to. And that's why we do it. We want to strategically and thoughtfully provide a time for you to mingle and meet new people, that everyone feels welcome regardless of where you're from, regardless of whether you're doubting and questioning faith or you've been a Christian for 20 years, regardless of whether you're rich or you're poor or you're a man or you're a woman, you're a skeptic, you've been a believer for a long time, you're young, you're old, that this is a place for you. That's why we do it. And we want to create an environment that's welcoming, not in a fake way, not in a, a painted on smile because the pastor said we're supposed to. So, hi. Not that, that's weird, that's creepy. But in a genuine, I am to be aware of other people. That's hospitable, that's being hospitable. That's my call, just like Rahab was. But hospitality is not only being aware of others, it's also being willing to care for their needs. And that's the more difficult part. It's not only seeing, hey, I see that person is there, but also being aware of their needs. What is the, great, the story of the Good Samaritan? One of the most famous stories in the entire Bible is the story of true hospitality. He's walking on his way down the road. He's most likely going in between business meetings and Everybody else is passing by this man who's laying on the road and he's dying. And what does he do? He's aware of him. And he's aware not of that, the fact that he's there, but he's aware of his needs. And what is he also willing to do? He's willing to take a moment and to bandage him up, to put him on his donkey, to walk down the road with him, to take him to the inn, to put him down in bed and get him situated, pay the innkeeper and tell the innkeeper to take care of him till he can come back. He's aware of others around him and their needs and he's willing to care for them. I have to take a moment here and, uh, and brag on our deacons and our prayer team here. So this last week, uh, a dear member of our church uh, had her second bout of pneumonia. And it was her birthday this week, and she was supposed to go to Disney with friends and family. And she, instead, she was stuck in the hospital. And uh, we found out about this, and she was talking to us about it. And our deacons, throughout the week, went and visited her during the day after work, spent time with her. There was somehow an impromptu Disney party that took place in the hospital. They prayed over her and prayed for healing. When, they, when she got home, they went to the grocery store and brought her and got groceries, so she set up for the time being, and then also this weekend went and cleaned her entire apartment. That's not the gift of hospitality. That's being hospitable. It's being aware of those around you and being willing to meet the needs of others that God brings in your path. 
See, we are meant to be people that show hospitality to our friends, to your spouse, to your family, to your church, to your coworkers, to the person that you sit next to on the plane or the barista that you visit every day for your coffee that is always better than what you can make in your house. The strangers that you meet on the street, your next door neighbor in the condo that you've never knocked on their door to get to know them. We're to be hospitable to all people, being aware of others around us, getting to know them, being warm and aware of their needs, and then being willing to meet those needs and care for them. The story of the Good Samaritan shows us this. Matthew 25 talks about being willing to invite in the stranger. Hebrews 13, as we dress red, tells us the same thing. But above all, hospitality should be seen here within the people of God. This should be the most hospitable place anyone has ever come. And that's what Rahab models here. She was hospitable to the people of God. The spies came to her. She was aware of their presence and she was aware of their needs. And as we're going to see in a moment, the reason she responded with a willingness to care for them at her own peril is because she had come to believe in the same God that they claim. They are of the same family. And she is willing to do whatever is necessary to be hospitable in that moment. And so the the last question that I asked myself was, what is compelling Rahab to show this type of hospitality? What is allowing Rahab in this moment, what's fueling her to not do the natural inclination of just looking for and caring for her own needs, being aware of herself? Because if that was the case, here's what she would have done. She would have walked out the door and said, yes, they're upstairs. They're under this itchy stuff. Go get them. Just, I'm sorry. Please don't do anything to me. Instead, she does whatever is necessary to care for them and to protect them. And the reason that this is an important answer, because it's the same answer to all of us, what compelled Rahab is the same thing that will compare us, that will compel us to be people of hospitality. Here's what it says in verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, Rahab, and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you all the lands and that the fear of the Lord has fallen upon us. And the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land will melt away before you, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and when you did what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And you're reading this, and you're like, aha, now I see why Rahab protected them, was hospitable to them. It's because she's trying to save her own skin. It's survival of the fittest. She's saying, we have all, not just me, we have all in Jericho heard the stories. We actually know from ancient potter and ancient letters that during this time, there would be all this news and information traveling amongst all the known world. And so Jericho would have heard about the story of the Red Sea. They would have heard about what took place across the Jordan with these two Amorite kings. And she's saying, we've heard it and we are all afraid The fear of you has fallen upon us. And so, because of that, listen, I'm going to hide you. I'm going to do whatever is necessary because I just want to save my own skin. I want to save my family. And you'll see later she makes a covenant so that she's safe. And you're like, "Ah, that's why. That's why she's hospitable. Simply survival of the fittest. 
But then when you think about it, you have to ask yourself, if that was the case, then why did all those other people rat her out? Why, why did they go to the king of Jericho and say that the spies were in Rahab's house? Because if everybody was so afraid that they wanted to align themselves with Israel, why would anybody rat them out? And you really see the answer in verse 11, because it's not survival of the fittest. It's not why she's hospitable. Of course, she, does, she wants to save her family, but more than that, she wants to be part of the people of God because she believes in that God. She says in verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. She's saying essentially that fear is running rampant throughout all of Jericho because we've heard and we know where you are. But here's what's unique about Rahab. While everybody else is consumed with fear, she's consumed with faith. She says this, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below, beneath. The word Lord here is the word Yahweh, which is the most holy name for God in the entire Bible. Jews would not even pronounce the name. It was so sacred. They, they used the word Adonai instead of Yahweh, or Jehovah, which is a mixture of Yahweh and Adonai together. And she is saying, think about this, a polytheistic prostitute, temple prostitute, is saying, I have heard the stories of who your God is, of what he's done, and I believe it. I believe in him. I'm not full of fear like everybody else. I, I know what's going to happen, and I want to protect my family. However, he's Yahweh. He's God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. And that phrase right there is actually only uttered three times in the entire Old Testament, three other times, and it's always used to declare the sovereignty of God over all things. Think about what she is declaring to them. She's explaining to them why she has shown hospitality. It's because of her deep-rooted faith that she has come to believe in the God of scripture after hearing the stories, and she's the only one in the, ta- in the city. Hebrews 11 talks about Rahab's faith, and here's what it says. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. It's, it's drawing out her hospitality. It's saying that she was hospitable, and she cared for them, which is why She was spared, but look what it says in the beginning. By faith. Why did she do it? Why did she show hospitality? By faith. The prostitute Rahab did not perish because she welcomed in. She was hospitable because her faith compelled her to do so. And the praise of Rahab doesn't end there. Rahab desires not only to declare her faith to these spies, but she's declaring a desire to be in community with them. She's not looking simply to be saved. She's looking to be accepted. She's looking to be invited in to the community of faith. And you may say, Carter, how in the world do you know that? That's, that's not here. Well, the greatest honor bestowed on Rahab, above all things, is that she's included in the genealogy of, of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 1, it lists out the genealogy of, of Christ. It would, you would always list out the genealogy of a king to make sure that they have royal roots. You'd want to see their lineage, make sure it's up to par. And here's one of the things. You would never, ever, 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 ever put a woman in your lineage. And in Jesus' genealogy, there's four women. 
Rahab's one of them. Think about that. The Savior of the world is declaring who he is. He's explaining his line, as Matthew writes about it, and he says, Rahab the prostitute is my ancestor. If we had a family reunion, she would be there. Rahab, the prostitute, is part of his line. And we know Rahab marries Solomon, who has, who she fathers Boaz, who marries Ruth, and so on, and how she's part of Jesus Christ's line. But why is that so significant? What is Christ saying in that by adding Rahab as a part of his line? He's explaining something that Rahab come to, came to believe, that God is interested in all people, from all places in life, as I said, rich, poor, men, women, young, old, prostitute, and the person that thinks they're really good and they've lived a good life. God is interested in all of them. And Rahab desired not only to declare her faith to despise, but to go into covenant with them as a promise that she would be spared and that she could join and be a part of the community of faith that she has come to believe in the same God and to worship him alongside of her brothers and sisters. And they welcome her in. They don't bar her because she was a polytheist and she was a prostitute. They welcome her in as part of the family of God because faith creates hospitality. And you see this very clearly in the life of Rahab. And it's the same thing for us to process. See, Joshua too is a, a story of incredible conversion And I think it's hard to imagine uh, the shock of the spies, right? As they stumble into this prostitute's house to gather intel, they meet Rahab, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Rahab, you're a prostitute and a polytheist. You believe in many gods, and you're going to help us? See, I think a lot of times people um, stumble into church, because they're curious, they're interested, they're processing, they have a lot of doubts, they haven't been to church in a while, or maybe they're new to the city and they're just looking for a church. And the question that I ask myself is, and more particularly about us, and about myself, when they meet me, when they come to this church, they find Rahabs. They find people that may not have the gift of hospitality, but you're being hospitable. You're called to be hospitable as so you're warm and welcome and open and inviting of all people. See, I think a lot of people, if you listen to people's stories, and maybe this is you, part of your story is maybe you turned away from the church because you said, listen, I went to church and they preached and claimed one thing and then they lived something totally different. And I think hospitality is a really important thing because here's what we claim. We claim the God of the world has invited us to live and, and enjoy his earth, though it's stained now by sin. That's hospitality right there. But yet he didn't stop there. He was aware of us in our time of need, and he was willing to do what was necessary, to invite us in, to welcome us into his home that is promised in eternity, where there's no tears and there's no pain. It's full of justice and peace and forgiveness and mercy and grace. That is our eternity. And so looking at us, aware and willing, being perfect in his hospitality, Christ comes. And he takes upon himself our sin and our shame on the cross and he purchases it. He he wipes away and abolishes our debt and rises from the grave three days later to declare victory and to offer and to extend an invitation to come into his house. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what you're going through, you're invited in. That's what we claim. And I had to ask myself, when people encounter me, 
do they encounter somebody that is open and warm and welcoming and inviting of all people at all times, aware and willing to meet needs? Or do they encounter somebody that oftentimes is caved in on himself, concerned about my own needs, concerned about my own desires? Because I think the reality is that when we really take a moment to contemplate God's hospitality extended to us, the question that we have to ask ourselves is how in the world could I ever not extend hospitality to God, to those that God brings in my path? How? I think the reason is because sometimes we think that God should give us hospitality. Well, I'm a pretty good person. God should welcome me in because I'm pretty good. I believe the right things. I say the right things. I go to church as as often as I can, and, and I sometimes try to show up on time, right? So God should welcome me in. See, the reality is God should not have welcomed us in, and he did anyway. And when we really take a moment to look at the gospel and say the gospel is that God brought in broken and flawed and messy people that have nothing to offer and they don't deserve even an ounce of his home or his relationship or his grace and yet he's extended all of it to us freely, the response is to be, how in the world could we ever not live in response to that? Being hospitable to every single person that God brings in our path, especially in the people of God. That's grace. And when we really process God's grace extended to us, it truly does afford us the ability to be hospitable. Not necessarily have the gift of it, but to be hospitable. Let's pray.